your pastor has been reading through, starting to read through Proverbs, and he told me just to take up where he left off, so we will read from Proverbs 4, verse 20, to the end of that chapter. Some very important admonitions here, especially the one in verse 23 and 26 and 27. This is God's word. It is the wisdom of God. Uh, which we have in all its fullness in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Think of your Father in heaven as saying these words to you, his child. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and healing. To all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devilish talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. May God make it so for us. And we will be reading from Luke 2 and from uh, Galatians 4 in a moment. But please join me in prayer. Now, Father, we have heard your word, your admonition to us to be wise, to follow paths of wisdom. And we thank you that all the treasures of wisdom are found in Jesus Christ, your Son. And so we pray that as we read your word now, and as we consider your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray that we may be built up in our knowledge of him, that we may acquire uh, that wisdom that will carry us into eternity with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to begin reading at verse 21. <clears throat> this follows the account of the birth of our Lord. <clears throat> Luke 2 verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, 
that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And as his father and mother marveled at what was said about him, Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, to marry his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming... At that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And then Galatians 4, just two verses, Galatians 4, 4, and 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Well, the annual traditional observation of Christmas is behind us, and passages of Scripture having to do with the birth of the Savior have been read, and, of course, Luke 2 has been read, but we always, uh, it seems we always stop at verse 20 and uh, don't continue on. And what follows is often overlooked. What we've read, what we've just read, is often overlooked. Or when it is proclaimed, the intention tends to be entirely on Simeon's wonderful and alarming words to Mary and to Joseph about Jesus. So I want to take a look at uh, some of these events after, after quote-unquote Christmas and uh, draw some lessons from them for us. And the first uh, is in connection, the first lesson is in connection with what we also read from Galatians uh, about Jesus being born under the law. So verse 21, 22, 23, and 24 tell us that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day, that he was brought to Jerusalem and the temple for sacrifices to be offered for his 
mother's purification, that, that's not entirely clear in the passage, but that is what is meant. And his own redemption. Oh, what does that mean? Uh, now, these are all separate events or distinguishable events. <clears throat> the family did not need to go to the temple uh, for Jesus to be circumcised. He was circumcised on the eighth day. Any Levite could circumcise a Jewish baby. Uh, but they did need to go to the temple to offer the sacrifices mentioned in verses 22 through 24. Now, as you read, as you followed, as you heard me read, as you followed along perhaps in your Bible, did you notice all the references to the law of God? Uh, verse 22, according to the law of Moses. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Verse 24, according to what is said in the law of the Lord. And verse 39, a kind of summation, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. Now, all of these references are to the laws given by God to Israel as part of his covenant with them, found in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Referred to not only as the law of Moses, verse 22, but also more often as the law of the Lord. Uh, these were not invented by priests. These came uh, from the mouth of God, as it were, uh, through Moses, to be written down in Scripture for his people. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is directing Luke, directed Luke, to refer to these laws as the laws of the Lord. They all came from God, they came with a purpose, and that purpose ultimately was to point forward to Jesus, who here in this climactic event, though I'm sure to people around except for Simeon and uh, Anna, they didn't appear climactic, but uh, these all were given by God pointing forward to the coming of the Messiah the Lord Jesus Christ. So Joseph and Mary not only obeyed the command of the angel to name their son Jesus, which they did, for he will save his people from their sin. That's the name Joshua, Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus to us. Uh, Joshua, the Hebrew name means Yahweh, Savior. And understand it's a sentence. Yahweh is the Savior. Yahweh saves. Yahweh the Savior. That is the name given to Jesus. He is the Lord, the Savior. So they obeyed, they obeyed the Lord. They obeyed the angels of the Lord who spoke to them and named in their naming of him. They were careful to have him circumcised on the eighth day after his birth, because that is what the law of the Lord had required since Genesis 17, God's covenant with Abram. It was necessary that the Lord of the covenant, when he took our human nature, should himself receive the sign of the covenant. Circumcision. A bloody, bloody cutting off of his flesh, pointing to what? Pointing to his being cut off on the cross. Bearing the curse our sins deserve. Verses 22 through 24 in Luke 2 
tell us that Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to Jerusalem for two important rituals commanded in the law. Uh, This is not just prelude to the encounter with Simeon, but was important in its own right. Mary had to undergo a period of purification. This is true of all Jewish women. Uh, following childbirth. We could spend half an hour exegeting the the passages in the law on that, but basically it comes down to uh, the fact that childbirth involves blood, and blood makes people unclean. Uh, So she had to go through a period of purification, and that's what the sacrifices were for, the turtle doves. Uh, and And Jesus also had to be redeemed. Isn't that interesting? Uh, The word redeemed isn't used in the passage, but it is used in Exodus, Exodus 13, uh, where the Lord has given the Passover commandment and then has said, uh, from now on, every firstborn son who opens the womb shall be redeemed by presentation of sacrifices. The Lord laid this claim on every firstborn son. In Egypt, The night of the first Passover, uh, every firstborn son among the Egyptians, even Pharaoh, were all put to death by God in a terrible judgment on Egypt. Death as a judgment from God. A judgment for sin. But in every house where the Israelites believed God's word through Moses, where they had sacrificed the lamb, where they had painted the blood of the lamb on the lintels of their doors, their firstborn sons were spared. They were spared by the blood of the lambs, sacrificed to redeem Israel, and pointing forward to what? To Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away our sins. Now, these laws regarding the mother, regarding the firstborn son, these laws were, we would say, ritual and ceremonial. Uh, They were not moral. So they had a purpose during the history of Israel with the coming of Jesus, shedding his blood for the salvation of his people, Jews and Gentiles, The ceremonial purpose had been fulfilled and came to an end. But it was still, at that time, it was still God's law for God's people. And it would have been sin to have disregarded these legal requirements and not having fulfilled them for Jesus. Joseph and Mary obeyed God's law as it pertained to the birth of their son, Jesus. Now, why is this important? The eternal Son of God, our Lord Jesus, came from heaven, took upon himself our human nature except without sin, in order to save us from our sins and all the consequences of sins. 
or, as Paul says to the Galatians passage we read, to redeem those who were under the law. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Now, who's under the law? Well, you might say, as, as many people do today, well, that's referring to Israel. Israel was under the law. We're not under the law. Uh, that's, I believe, a very unfortunate interpretation. Uh, you might want to turn with me to Romans chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul is speaking of the sinful condition of mankind, not just Jews, but of Gentiles as well. Uh, for instance, verse 9, Are we Jews better off? Not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles, are under sin. <coughs> Verses 19 and 20 of chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. <clears throat> who is under the law in this sense? The whole world. Chapter 2, the Apostle Paul distinguished between those who had received the revealed and written law of God and those on whose consciences the law had been written, sometimes referred to as natural law, natural revelation of law. But Jews or Gentiles, we all come into this world with an awareness, whether we admit it or face up to it or not, of God's, uh, of God's governance over us and the necessity of obeying his law. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, brothers and sisters, as human beings uh, created by God, in his image to love and serve and obey him, in obedience to his revealed will, his law, we are under the law. His creatures bound to obey him according to his word. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are under the law as it condemns us for our sins. We stand as law breakers under a sentence of condemnation, unless and until we are brought to faith in Christ and united with him so that his obedience and righteousness becomes ours. His death atones for our sin, and we are clean in God's sight. But you see, it was absolutely necessary from the very beginning, even from infancy, that the Savior must himself be a law keeper. There can be no law-breaking sin charged against him, or then he would stand condemned, which is an unthinkable thing, and could not redeem anyone. There can be no law-breaking sin charged against Jesus. And only in this way could he be the spotless Lamb of God to atone for our sins. When he atoned for our sins, he took our sins, the guilt of our sins, upon himself on the cross, 
The Apostle Paul declares in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That is, God the Father made him his sinless son who never knew sin, that is, never knew it as an experience that he engaged in, to be sin for us on the cross, that we in him might be made the righteousness of God. On the cross, he was numbered with the transgressors. Isaiah 53. And already as an infant, the law of the redemption of the firstborn sons, which proclaims the sinfulness of those sons, their liability to death at the hands of God. That was applied to Jesus as if he too were a sinful son. When he came to John the baptizer to be baptized, said, you should baptize me, I shouldn't baptize you. And he said, we must do this, that all righteousness may be fulfilled. Christ stood in the waters, surrounded by sinners repenting of their sins and hoping for God's forgiveness. He was numbered among the transgressors in the waters of baptism. He took the place of sinners as if he were one, though he wasn't. From his first breath, indeed from his conception, Jesus, the Son of God, the anointed King and Savior, was a law keeper for us. Until the day that he also took the full curse of the law upon himself, taking our law breaking on himself. You haven't, I haven't, you can't, I can't keep the commandments of God without sin. Jesus did from infancy. When you trust in Christ and turn to God, trusting in Jesus, the Father gives you his perfect law-keeping obedience and counts you as obedience. And this is what is meant by justification. You cannot pay for your sins and law-breaking. Jesus did. Being treated even in infancy as if he were a sinner needing redemption. Ceremonial redemption, yes, but needing redemption. He paid the full price for our sins in his suffering and death on the cross. The Father promises full and free forgiveness. All of your sins when you trust in Christ. Now, I think it's interesting that Luke points to all of this uh, in regard to the infancy of Jesus. And I see here what we, I think, can extract from this, that there is a real sense in which Jesus is the children's Savior. How many children? We don't have a lot of children here this afternoon. One. A few up there, depending on where childhood ends and adulthood begins. <laughs> Some more. <laughs> 
some more in back. Uh, we have a few children here. Uh, our children, all of you children who are here today as part of the congregation, as part of the church, you were born under the law. You commit sins. You break God's commandments. Let's just take one of God's commandments, one that's singled out by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. What is the fifth commandment? Honor your father and your mother. A little bit more in Exodus 20. But honor your father and your mother. Are there any children here or any of us who used to be children who have never broken this commandment? Never dishonored dad or mom. Never did anything to bring shame upon them or their reputation. Never mouthed off or sassed, talked back. Never said, no, I won't. When they wanted you to and you didn't. Never disobeyed, never sneaked. Never lied to get away with something. Well, I, I confess guilt all of that. And honor here does mean obey. The Apostle Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And then he quotes the fifth commandment. Now, if you're an adult, you don't owe your parents obedience, but you still owe them honor. But children, children, and all of us adults who once were children, you were born under this law from God. You are under this law as it points to your sin. How can your sins against dad and mom, which are sins against God, how can they be forgiven by God? Well, Jesus is your law keeper too. He became a baby, then a boy, then a man. As children grow, always he was God. He as God created Joseph and Mary. Isn't that something to think about? He created his parents. He as God in human flesh was pure and sinless, and they were not. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yet Jesus kept the fifth commandment. He subjected himself to them. We didn't read that far in Luke chapter 2, but it goes on to say, uh, where is it? Of course, I turned the page. Uh, it goes on to say that when they returned from his presentation in the temple in Jerusalem at the age of 12, his age of 12, that he submitted himself to them. He submitted himself to them. Now think about that. Uh, I know when I was a child and my parents were wrong, and they were wrong a lot. I did not easily submit to them. And if I did, I didn't do it very cheerfully. Now there certainly were times when Jesus' parents were mistaken. 
when he could have said, you're wrong, I don't have to listen to you. But he submitted himself to them. He was humble and respectful and earnest and submitted to them from the heart. It's chapter 251, Luke 2, verse 51. And so, children and adults who remember sinning against the fifth commandment, children, you can go to Jesus. He bore your sins of dishonoring mom and dad when he went to the cross. For your forgiveness, God the Father will see his own son's perfect obedience when he looks at you as you call upon him, trusting in Jesus. The Holy Spirit can give you the grace to help you learn more and more also to honor and obey your parents as Jesus did. Jesus is the children's Savior. There's one more thing I want to want us to think about. And maybe you've thought about this point already. Uh, Jesus, at eight days of age, in his human nature as an infant, could not have chosen to be circumcised, right? Did Jesus call out from the manger, Joseph, Mary, get me circumcised, I'm eight days old. <laughs> it's kind of silly to think about that. He had not yet read the law of the Lord in his human nature, which in his deity he had given to Moses on the mountain. He had not yet read the law of the Lord so as to know the sacrifices needed for his mother's purification and his own redemption. What was necessary for Jesus to be a law keeper even from infancy? It was necessary that he have parents who were devoted to the Lord and devoted to keeping his commands. And God provided such parents. This was God's doing. It wasn't chance. I say, yes, parents, plural. Mary was Jesus' mother in the flesh. Joseph was not his father in the flesh. But Scripture refers to them as his father and mother, verse 33, and his parents, verse 27. And Jesus was subject to his father, Joseph, and his mother, of course. Joseph was not Jesus' father physically, as Mary was, but he was the father who raised Jesus and taught him and set an example before him of what a godly man looks like. Joseph was also Jesus' legal father. We would say adopted, perhaps, but Jesus' legal father, through whom Jesus' descent from King David is recorded in the genealogies of Matthew and Luke. 
There are no accidents in God's universe. And in particular, not in the circumstances of our Lord's life. His Father in heaven provided for his Son earthly parents who would care for and raise the Redeemer in accordance with God's law. They were not sinless. Mary, in her great song in chapter 2, one, chapter 1, <laughs> speaks of God, my Savior. She needed a Savior. She knew that. They were not sinless, but they were, by God's grace, believers who loved God, who sought from their hearts to live according to his commandments. And God surely used that so that, quote, the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. Verse 40. When they took Jesus with them to the temple at age 12, he astounded the teachers with his understanding and his answers. Verse 47. Now, there surely is a mystery, a mysterious interplay here between our Lord's eternal Godhead and his human nature. He possessed by divine treasure all the, by divine nature, all the treasures of wisdom. Colossians 2. And yet he grew in wisdom. Well, ponder that sometime. Give yourself time to ponder it. It's not, it's, I think it's beyond our understanding. Uh, He gave, he gave the scriptures of the Old Testament. Peter, 1 Peter 1, says that it was the Spirit of Christ speaking to the prophets, pointing to his coming suffering and glory. As the second person of the triune God with the Father and with the Spirit, he gave the scriptures of the Old Testament. And yet someone on earth taught him to read and gave him those same scriptures to read and learn and understand. Who is more likely to have been this someone than his father? Now, in these seemingly small things at the beginning of our Lord's earthly life, we see the singular care taken by God to ensure that his son would be ceremonially pure and spotless as well as morally pure and spotless so that he might be the spotless lamb of God to atone for our sins. I think there's something here for Christian parents to consider seriously. Our children will not, not one of them, will grow up to be anyone's savior from sin. Jesus was unique. But they need the savior from sin. We bring our children for baptism, as Joseph and Mary brought Jesus for circumcision. And then what? Sinful though we are, parents and grandparents, sinful though we are, through faith in Jesus, and by the grace that only he can give us, we strive to live from our hearts in obedience to God's commands. Not so our children can imitate us and be perfect law-keeping Pharisees from infancy. 
but so that they may be encouraged to come to Jesus for salvation. They have models of how to trust in Jesus and how to live out of that trust. The obedience of Christian parents cannot save their children. Only Jesus saves. Only the Holy Spirit converts. But God uses the loving obedience of Christian parents, their visible trusting in God's word and promises, and not only their example of obedience, but also, and this is obedience too, their example of humbly facing up to their own sins and repenting and being a model of humble repentance for their children. Their teaching of God's word, their prayers, and their earnest pleadings. God uses all of these to work in the hearts of the children of his children. To convict them of their sins, to point them to Jesus, the Savior, to work faith in their hearts. The earlier the better, we pray. Even, like John the Baptist, even, from his, even in his mother's womb, knew Jesus when Mary came to visit Elizabeth. Uh, we pray. We pray for the Spirit of God to work in their hearts from the very beginning. To work faith in Christ in their hearts and to show them how to live for Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you make it clear in your word that we are so far from being sinless that it would be absurd folly for us to claim it. And yet, in your Son, we see the perfect man, the perfect boy, the perfect toddler, the perfect infant. And all that perfection on display, not only because it's part of his glory, but it's also his gift for our salvation. And so we thank you, Lord, that when we come to you confessing our sins, seeking your grace and forgiveness and the help of your Holy Spirit to do better, you see in us the righteousness of Christ. You do not condemn, but you forgive and you help. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your Son in the fullness of time to redeem us who were born under the law. We thank you in his name. Amen.